Hello everyone. It's a Thursday evening. Maybe if you're other parts of the world, it's lunchtime. Who knows? Strap in. Get your sandwich. Get your glass of wine. Whatever you do, it's all good. You might actually want to watch this one because we've got some beautiful buildings as well. Yeah, I know. Not just an audio-only one today. 15 seconds. Okay. Water bottle after ready. Hello everyone and welcome to this live stream special. Wherever you are in the world, I'm super thrilled because this is not just me in the UK. We're going transatlantic to the, one of the busiest places in the world. I was saying with my guest before, it's noisy, it's busy, it can be rude and brash, but it's super, super cool and I love it. And that's why we've got today Winker Doubledam at Architectonics all the way from New York City. Winker, how are you? I am good. Thank you for the beautiful introduction. I'm so glad you're here. Now, Winka, actually, I'll be honest, we've spoken for a few minutes before, but we hadn't really met even before that. It was actually your office which kindly reached out. And I've been learning about your architecture and your career. But for anyone that is perhaps not so familiar with the stuff that you've done, can you tell me briefly about yourself? Yeah, sure. So although I am in New York, I'm originally from Holland. I came here to study at Columbia University, forgot to leave. So I've been here for a while. The office here, Architectonics, is in Wall Street in the bottom, the tip of Manhattan. Most of the people here live across in Brooklyn and we take the ferry. So we're a little Euro-centric. Yeah. I'm originally from Holland. My partner is German. The office is a small version of the UN, some Chinese people, some Latin Americans, some Americans. So it's a nice compilation. And we also work all over the world. So we currently actually, since you're there, building a house in London. We finished project, a large project in China. We did some work in Paris. We do a lot of work here, of course, in New York. But yeah, it's, it's a fun, it's a fun place. Brilliant. I've got to be honest, I'm going to bring this up again because I spelt the practice name wrong while I was rushing to prepare this. So it is Architectonics and I'm yes. super excited for it. So I'm going to bring some of your work up in the background while we talk so that people can have a little bit of an eye candy. But you mentioned in particular a little bit of the drive behind what you do. And I'd love to know in, in your words then, what kind of architecture do you aspire to make when you do all your projects, Winker? This is a typical question we architects get. It's not so much yours, but people ask what yeah. your specialization is because most some architects specialize in hospitals or housing yeah. or whatever. We typically answer we specialize in innovation because we like to think of the future. We like to think of how do we think how architecture is built, designed, we love robotics. So we tend to go far future. This is actually the stadium we just built, but then we build it like a hybrid, so also like a concert hall. And that's what we like to think about. The idea is what I'm mostly writing about as I'm going in a conference for the UN next week in Copenhagen is synthetic natures. And it's very much thinking about nature as it's built by us humans. 
mm. mostly at the world i think is currently i think what is it 70 percent built by humans instead of natural wild as we used to think nature is but also to to think of architecture as learning from plant intelligence so we like to serve these edges i think it's very interesting and you mentioned in particular this Asian Games Stadium, and I've got a little bit of eye candy here. So this is a recent project that you've completed. It's quite a big one. Can you tell me a little bit more about this one in particular, perhaps? Yeah, it's not just a stadium. It's actually the full park. So it's 1.6 kilometers long, Mike. two stadiums, five other buildings. But what was the real challenge was that the Chinese government thought of it as 85% park, although they wanted seven buildings. A bit of a challenge. And typically these projects don't walk into your office. It's a competition. So this was also an invited competition. Five international architecture offices competed. And I like to think that we won because we broke the rules. Oh. Um, which is always an interesting one, right? And so the one thing we did is we made the stadiums, the two stadiums hybrids. As you can see here, this is one of them. So this particular one is a stadium and a concert hall. And the reason why we did that is because the client came with the idea that the park had to be sustainable, a sponge city, as they call it, which means mm -hmm. it absorbs stormwater and rain and filters the water and it irrigates the park. So then we proposed, why don't we do the buildings and also sustainable and we make them hybrids. So you don't get an empty building after the Asian Games, which is a sense. Mm. So making it a hybrid also started to drive a little bit of the strange forms coming by here. Because by making it an intersection of two volumes, we felt you were getting something that doesn't look like a standard topology or yeah. one liner. You would get some a building that makes you wonder what it is, what you want to discover. And then inside, it's very fluid and very easy to change from concert hall to stadium without actually rebuilding or reorganizing anything. Yeah. Um, so it was a fun, fun challenge that we put for ourselves. But what was the extra benefit is that we got more money because now it was a permanent building. Good. You see the scale here. Yeah, so this wow. building is 35,000 square meters and these guys are sitting on top of the building installing this glass diagrid. So it's a quite a large scale, as you can see, 400 people on site for the seven buildings every day. So I have huge respect for the contractor. But yeah, it was really interesting. We it, China is often the way that architects are not so involved. In this case, I think for several reasons, we were very much involved. One was they had a very short time frame. We won this May 2018. And it was finished in May 2022, originally to open last September, but because yeah. of COVID, they're playing it this September. So we had a year to grow the park. And as you can see, sustainability in the traditional sense was also a really big thing. So the building naturally breathes and we only yeah. pull the seats of the viewers. The, the cooling comes from the wetlands we built next door or restored next door. So, yeah. It looks amazing. Fun little, yeah. So here you see the lobby. It's a 30-meter-high lobby. So funny enough, COVID was, a, of course, a huge restriction. But because of COVID, we did the site visits with drones, which actually, I realized after the fact, was a much better way to investigate, do the supervision of a, a building 30 meters high. That's essentially one story. Yeah. No scaffolding. So the innovation of the contractor was that he built everything with teeny-weeny cranes. 
My goodness. Very smart. We saved, I think, 200 tons of steel on this building. There's no columns, as you can see. Yeah. So it's a fun, fun little creature. I think it's absolutely amazing. And I've, as well, I think 10 out of 10 for your patience with me clicking because it's me driving all this, which is so unfortunately I'm clicking around, but I, it's, uh, it gives a beautiful impression. And I'm going to bring up your website quickly because I do think it's one of the better ones that I've seen in, in, in a long time. And that's not to discredit anyone else's website. It's just a nice website. But one thing I wanted to ask, because obviously this is a huge scale and you touched upon earlier that you've yeah. done lots of different projects and different typologies. Other than the, you know, the really interesting stadium, can you give, maybe give me a flavor of the roots of, of your practice and the kind of stuff that you've seen over the years, which has been quite a learning curve. Yeah, I can, I can start, for example, with our first building, which is cute. And you can find it if you go to residential on the left. By the way, this website is designed by WSDIA, my favorite mm. graphic designers here in, in New York. Them. Yeah, really great. On the bottom left there, you see a folded glass building. Oh, no, no, no. Oh, have I gone past it? Yeah, I've yeah, gone yeah. past it. On the bottom where you were before, so go up. Okay, I'm going up, back up. Yeah, up. here. You see that one, yeah. This one, this one. okay. Yeah. Cool. So this was the first kind of building we did, which is really, was an, an English client, actually. I did originally a loft for, he wanted to invest a little bit in buildings. I was here, so I was going to find something. I was originally looking Brooklyn, was already very expensive, didn't work very well. And lo and behold, I walked by my favorite little bar. We do that too here in New York. It was this warehouse. Do you see a little corner over there for sale? Yeah. And I was like, interesting. This could be good. Empty warehouse. Maybe it's a project. So I called the broker and he said, yeah. and there's a site next door. So it turned out that the 50 foot wide building, which is 15 meters, I guess, right? 50, yeah, 15 meters, yeah. had a 50 meter lot next door also. So hence... What we built is if you go a few further, yeah, that one's good. So here you see the little studies we did with zoning because we built essentially a building three times bigger next yeah. and over it, which was a fun exercise and the neighborhood loved it because we kept the existing warehouse. You could have essentially just killed the existing warehouse and put a big office block. But we felt, let's do just a sweet little residential building. So... We started looking at the zoning and what I liked is the zoning envelope was for New York, usually buildings are set back for light and air and they step back like this. But actually mm -hmm. zoning code is a plane, an in inclined plane. So I started playing with these inclined planes, intersected them on the top and the bottom and suddenly I had a wavy glass facade that was folding in and out. Mm -hmm. And then to make things interesting, we decided to fold the glass. <laughs> First oh, project, wow. remember? First project in 98, I think. Oh, yeah, the glass turned out to be able to be folded in Barcelona. The mullions were extruded in Hong Kong. So this was there in, in architecture. As we know, we have something called parametric. So yeah. this, in maybe in 98, was one of the first parametric projects where we never sent drawings to oh, wow. the fabricators, but a 3D model from the computer with XYZ points. Because that was the only way to get the glass folded to match the mullions extruded, My glass folded Barcelona, mullions, Hong Kong, and get the whole thing on site. So it was an interesting exercise in precise fit. 
Yeah. And yeah, here you see it being installed by these guys who are absolutely fearless. Wow, my goodness. It's very I, interesting. I bet there was a few heads being scratched in the glass factory thinking, my goodness, this is definitely an ambitious one. But I think it looks amazing. I was going to ask you as well, because I love projects as well, but it's just interesting to know as well, the kind of culture of your architecture practice. Now, if what would be interesting, because I'm familiar with practices in the UK, but can you, can you visualize for anyone that maybe hasn't stepped inside your practice, your office, what's a typical day-to-day -day like for you at the moment? Yeah, I, I think one thing I maybe didn't say, but I'm also the chair of architecture at the department at the university. So Ooh. my day to day is hectic. I have two full time jobs. Goodness. Thank God I have a business partner here. So that's definitely the big savior. Justin Korhammer is my business partner. And then we have an office. We never, we kind of, and there was for me also early on a decision to have an office like a laboratory, which means we keep it 12, 15 people. It's very horizontal. Everyone does every aspect of everything. Yeah. So we don't have a layer of people doing only drawings and people designing and people yeah. managing. Essentially, we like to think that every project gets one of the partners on it with someone from the office. We work hand in hand and other people jump in and out, but we're all one big horizontal layer. And, you know, that, of course, some people get trained, other people are very experienced, but like in general, we like to think that everyone's equal and that we only hire architects. No one is just a draftsperson. Everyone can really have the full experience of what it is to work on innovative architecture. We love it that way. We have great consultants, fantastic landscape architect, Melk, also Dutch office in the same building. We have great engineers here in New York. My dog is walking around. <laughs> I love dogs. Don't worry. It's all good. That's Quick. our HR department. Yeah, exactly. The quick, 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 very important question. What is the breed of your beautiful dog? Ah, he's a golden doodle and his name is Boy, named after Coco Chanel's lover. Wow, my goodness. I, ironically, I have a Boston Terrier called Dexter. So there we go. There, there. Yeah, yeah, and amazing dogs. We but, should do uh, another session on dogs also. Yeah, <laughs> I think so. There's, do you know there's a quick, there's a competition in the UK where architects submit dog sheds and stuff. I don't know. Oh, I you, know that one. Have I you? I think after seeing all that glass and stuff, I think you'd do a pretty good one if you haven't already. So you should enter and make a dog kennel. This guy doesn't want to be in boxes. <laughs> Sadly. <laughs> Maybe that's how you can look at your brief, isn't it? But I tell you what, sorry. We don't fit I, in boxes, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I digress. But what's really interesting you talked about there, and thank you for visualizing the the practice, but a lot of the listeners, especially in the architecture social and the UK, and we have quite a lot in the US actually, but the demographic, which is quite cool, is quite broad. So it's recent graduates all the way up to project architects, or hopefully the range is there. But where I'm getting that is that there's a lot of people in their career right now moving along, and you're in the university circuit in academia in, mm -hmm. in the US, and you showed a brave project. So I'm just wondering, what's your current loose thoughts then of um, how one would go about their career in 2023 as an architect? Yeah, no, it's super interesting. I had a meeting this morning with my students because we're submitting for COP28, which is in Dubai in December. And I was telling them it's really important if you do a beautiful project, because I think nowadays I'm jealous of our students. We have robotics, we have... 3D printers, we have 
everything is 3D on the computer. It's so much fun. I grew yeah. up manually, and just at the end of it, I managed to get computer stuff in. And oh, really? Very, I graduated the very first little wire animation, but... But yeah. then I stay digital, and I think that it's a really interesting future. So I think the actually the future for the architect is very good, as long as you have an argument. I have learned in my practice that you can make any difficult building, any weird shape, any interest that you have, sustainable-wise or technology-wise or robotic influences, whatever you want to do, as long as you have an argument for it. And it's yeah. very important. So we had that discussion this morning. I was like, you should show all the beautiful stuff you've done, but you have to create the argument because you're going into a sustainability conference you, and you have thought about it and you need to get the data, you need to back up your story, you need to get the argument straight. And then that's otherwise we're not going to be able to send it in. And it was an interesting discussion because they are amazing designers. Our students are very good and I love them. And, but they are wooly about the arguments. There is an argument, but it's not really scientifically funded. And I think if you want to go into the big world out there and make a point on what you want to build and how you want to build it, you do need to get these scientific points across. And Tom, I had a discussion with Tomain the other day. He asked me to moderate the launch of his new book. I'll plug his new book, M3, in Rizzoli in New York. And we had that discussion on if you do really intense work, which obviously Morphosis does, then you have to essentially, you don't have to talk about the design of it. The design is clear. You make beautiful drawings. We're very good all in renderings and showing that. What you talk about is really why is it working? Why does the building work? Why is it what they need? How is it better than other buildings? And I think that's a really big argument. We did probably for the Asian Games, the competition we won that you just showed. The reason why we won, I think, in the end, is we broke the rules. So we had another concept. But we also had the most complex buildings, the most complex ideas, but fully calculated structures with an yeah. amazing engineer here, Thornton Tomasetti. Mm-hmm. And by do, by combining a few things, it's super sustainable, it's, be, it's complex aesthetically, but it's fully calculated as a structure. I yeah. think that was ultimately what helped them decide to go for the most complex project that was in the five proposals. Yeah. So, and well, we managed to build it in time, which is, well, thanks to the contractor, of course. But yeah, no, it, it is. Looks, it, yeah. It looks beautiful. And I love what you were saying about having the argument there, because I think at the moment as well, one of the key things is that we're seeing, the, especially in mainstream as well as architecture, the conversation around artificial intelligence as a mm-hmm. tool. And I think that some people are, have been, oh my goodness, oh, I should be worried as an architect that we're going to get replaced. And I don't see it like that. I think it's a tool that can be used because like the whole nature of what even chat GPT is, it's a yeah. text, it's an interface where you have to enter a text prompt. And I was just wondering quickly if you could touch upon maybe your evolving mm-hmm. thoughts on that artificial intelligence. What is super interesting, like in the end, it's your brain. Yeah. You can make look you can make anything look amazing, but it's your brain that will be able to don't forget artificial intelligence, especially the imaging of it, it's completely flat. You get a photo, right? It's yeah. a flat photo. And what is sweet or sometimes scary to hear 
non-architects reacting to it because they see this beautiful a glass house in the rocks and waterfall in the front and they're like where is this i want to live here <laughs> i was like eh, it was just like a prompt waterfall rock glass house yeah that's it and that's how it looks and it's funny that the software has taste i like that it's interesting because what comes out is very often very beautiful or at least weird and beautiful which is my favorite i actually like ugly and weird but yeah and in the end it's a beautiful image but you have to in as an architect i always say we do 10% design and 90% is to defend that design and get it built and get it structurally built in a way that the structure completely fluidly follows what you're doing formally and that's these are the real struggles right the design is never the struggle the 10% is not the struggle the 90% is the struggle and that's where you convince the client to pay for it where you find a site and to build it on and you make it sustainable you save money you make it faster and you make it lighter and yet erase the columns my favorite thing i yeah. love cantilevers engineers always like winka no more cantilevers i'm like <laughs> i don't need an engineer <laughs> these kind of things are really like the 90 is really what you are as an architect and it is i think it should be a given that the 10 percent the making it beautiful you can do I think that's a beautiful advice. I was going to ask as well, because you mentioned it's an exciting time. Now, what's interesting is that, so then you're an academic, so you're, you're inspiring, but mm -hmm. you're also running a practice. So technically, in where I'm going, you're an employer. So you probably yeah. see a lot of applications and portfolios. And I was just wondering if you have any little bit of advice or things that pop in your head of what stands out to you when you see something or what would, if it landed on front of your desk, what would you go, wow, rather than what would you would go, nah, <laughs> I'm okay. What I think is always really important about portfolio is that your persona in architecture shines through you yeah. as the architect. So not so much, can you make this style? Can you make that style? Have you had enormous amounts of experience and practice, which is all good. But yeah. I think the more important thing about the portfolio is who are you as an architect? What do yeah. you want to show you as an architect? And what do you make? Like how personal can you be? Because we are ultimately interested in people that our personas and that we of course will train and whatever because we use very little standard anything but yeah in the end it's really important that you as a persona shine through so it's it be, develop yourself as a as an architect that has a statement and has an idea about what who you want to be and what you want to make mm. is really important no i hear you and uh, maybe the last point i touch upon that and so do you see what in university that kind of stuff coming out then are you inspired by what at the moment is it oh my god i see do beautiful work yeah yeah absolutely stunning work it is it's gone so we are however <laughs> at penn we are hyper digital robotic very oh, of wow. the future so our students can render and model things that are and also because i think what we changed in teaching is we seven or eight years ago we put 3d printers straight in studio so realizing that model making became less important and prototyping becomes more and more important also the reason by the way why in our office we make small projects as well as large projects so that big complex stadium you saw was very much based on research we did for a uh, for inscape which was a med a startup a meditation oh, wow. startup 
And we developed this meditation dome for 45 people from bamboo as a radio grid. And it was, I didn't know I was going to get a stadium after that, but it was very interesting how much I learned from just doing that prototyping. We actually did in a car design company in LA, how much we learned from that and how much was then translated as what we did in the stadium to do the, so it's not only designing in the computer and 3D printing prototypes, but also literally using the smaller projects as the innovation driver for a larger project, which is Matt, super interesting. I think it is. It's, it feels to me, dare I say, quite an exciting time. And you touched there upon the future, and I feel your palpable excitement as well. Now, you have mentioned quite rightly that you have built now a massive stadium. So what I was going to say is... What's next or, or what are you excited about then next or in the future or where you're going at the, as a practice or the industry as well? I, th I think uh, to me, what is the most interesting development right now is to build buildings from biomatter. So to really understand buildings as plant material, to lower the carbon footprint, to have our buildings literally absorb carbon, produce oxygen. So because construction and households alone are 40 to 50% of the carbon footprint. So actually as architects, we can change everything. Mm. I think it's often people don't like to think about it, but I think it's actually the most interesting thing that is going on where we can actually start to make buildings that are breathing that are creating oxygen and actually reducing, not only not putting more carbon, because I think right now we're being a tiptoeing into sustainability. Yeah, let's use a little bit less of the carbon footprint. But what about if we don't have a carbon footprint? What about if we actually reduce it and start to have buildings absorb carbon? So that becomes more what you talked about earlier, the idea of building more, being more plant-like. And the idea of building buildings, 3D printing them from biomatter or even the, what's a very known thing already is mycelium bricks, basically mushroom bricks yeah. that grow themselves, right? And then you can stop the growth, but it's also a self-healing material. So once you have piled them up, they heal, they, they close the cracks themselves. So it's a very interesting way of thinking. And it sounds very futuristic, but it actually is completely there already. It's, I think, how do you now make building codes around it and stuff is going to be interesting, right? But that's more or less the how do you defend it as a structural thing? How do you defend it in fire codes and that kind of thing is the next step. But I think it is where super interesting things are going to happen, especially with 3D mm. printing buildings, which in plant matter, in biomatter is very possible. So, yeah, mm. I can wow. see little algae, algae buildings and whatever. Why not, right? We all come from nature, so it makes sense yeah. to return to it. I, uh, you touched there upon that uh, innovative stuff. And now anyone in the audience, you can ask a question, but equally, if you're, I don't know, in the evening and having a glass of wine and stuff, that's totally cool too. But what I was going to say, Winker, there's probably a lot of research and development that's going on. And earlier, before we went live, you we talked a little bit about all the books behind yourself and you flashed up. A book that you've done. So spill the beans. This one. Oh. Fill the book. It's a weightlifting exercise. <laughs> this just came out in Europe with Akhtar. Strange object, new solids, and massive things. Since this was hard to read, we also put it here, <laughs> which is Beautiful. the same graphic designer as the website. 
And inside you'll find a lot of, I'll show you one, but very strange objects like this little guy here, oh, wow. which actually is made, it's a fashion pavilion made of an English product, which is called concrete cloth. It was developed in the 60s for bomb shelters. If you want a little bomb shelter in your garden, the whole atomic war and the fear of it and stuff. And that company, of course, had not too much to do at the moment. So when we built this project for a fashion designer, we thought it should be cloth. And then I found this product and I called in England and I was like, hey, we're doing this thing. What do you think? Do you want to sponsor it? And they're like, absolutely, architects. And you could see them think, oh, good, goody, new clients. <laughs> and so they were super sweet. But what is the beauty of it? It's half inch cloth that is impregnated with concrete. You drape it over. We built a structure from rebar. You drape it over, you spray it with water, and within half an hour, it's structurally half-inch concrete. So it's an amazing thing. So this book is really a manual on how to innovate architecture with unexpected materials or different structures or developing new systems with manufacturers, which is more or less how we have run our practice, sometimes out of frustration because we couldn't find an interesting system to work with and then we just develop one with a manufacturer sometimes in a the funny story is we developed a panel with a company called Panelite, which was recycled aluminum honeycomb with two layers of poured fiberglass right. and then rem colas used it all over it in chicago Oh my so goodness. I was like, I should have gotten a patent on that thing. Damn. But uh, yeah, damn business. We need a business manager in this office. But yeah, so it's very interesting and I don't mind it actually. I like the fact that yeah, I think it's a compliment, but it's, uh, it's nice to develop new materials and to come up with things that are more organic looking or just simply more organic. So yeah, this manual also designed by WSDA in here in New York. And the funny thing is, of course, that it has, they put holes in it because they were inspired by the car manuals of the 50s, the tractor and car manuals of the 50s. Yeah. You used to stick them in the binder. Yeah. So the idea is you can rip this book apart and stick it in a binder. Theoretically. Oh, I love it. Yeah. It looks beautiful. Now, what I was going to say is, and I'm going to bring up the website one time more, but I think maybe it's because it's such a beautiful day. Something went wrong in the website. Hmm, if we are still on the screen, I was trying to share the screen. Maybe it's not so wise. But while Stephen is having a moment being frozen, I think we can maybe just look at the Inkscape thing in the book because that is also how that works. As it is this project, as you can see it here. So that is actually the project that is the project that inspired the whole stadium. I'll try and find another one for you. Oh, what's really fun is the prototype that we 3D printed in a car manufacturer business, which is this guy. It's very manual, this presentation. So this whole thing is robotically printed in a, by a car manufacturer in LA. And we did that because the client wasn't very clients and not necessarily architects it's not that easy for them to understand and then eventually that looks like this in the space a big huge volume in the space and very exciting to have right here in manhattan in chelsea it was essentially a startup so we also designed their 
retail and other things. So it's a, it's an interesting exercise in how to start a business, how to help the client market it. Interesting was that at some point they realized that the branding and the marketing really didn't have to be designed, but that the space itself became the marketing and became the branding, which was a sweet complement to architecture, I think. And of course, it was completely prefabricated. So you can see that here. One of the most high-tech spaces we've built, which looks the most minimal, but it had aerated, so the air comes in filtered with aromatherapy. There's micro speakers for sound, so the sound sounds universal. I just kept going. Winka, you remember I said the worst case scenarios that would happen. Yeah, yeah we have explained. Someone, we've explained Inkscape in the meantime. Someone has pulled out the internet or something. I was running around to my partner. I was like, "Darling, you're not downloading anything, are you?" And I was about to log on my phone. So well done. You had the baptism. Yeah, by we fire. went through the we went through the whole Inkscape project in the meantime. I all have to show you, actually, look, this was robotically milled in the car factory oh, look. as a prototype. Yeah, yeah, really fun. So we did a manual version because I didn't know how to share on your system. Oh, brilliant. But I did a manual version and walked through Inkscape. You had the baptism by fire. And so while you've done an amazing stadium, you've done all this cool stuff, you did parametric design before it happened, you're also the first ever person to survive the, the crash on the podcast. So well done for reality kicking. <laughs> Mo, my lights are going off now and all this stuff, isn't it? I think I would say before I have a second heart attack, what I was going to say is, and unless there's anything that we haven't covered or anything, normally what I do is I like to throw it back where you can ask me a question nice. or two. And that could be nice. because I'm in London. I it like could that. be in the architecture scene, but I've got as much time as you. Do you have any questions for me? Yeah, I really love that you asked me the, this question. So I'm going to ask you this question. Where do you feel architecture is going to? I've got to be honest. I, before I went even into architecture, I was always fascinated by video game design, web design. I've mm -hmm. developed a lot of the architecture social website myself. I'd never do it again because it's one of those things that you do and you love it, but you also at the same time think, my goodness, that was a world of pain. I know. But I think that at the moment, AI as a tool is really interesting. And so I've mm -hmm. actually plugged it into my business in different ways. It's still a tool, which is why I was really happy that you mentioned it. And I really believe in experimentation. However, I do think that where it's amazing is there's an opportunity to remove the mundane to focus on yeah. the interesting. Because there's stuff that architectural professionals or business owners just have to do. I have to get my invoices out. I have to speak to someone on the phone mm -hmm. however the, in certain things like search engine optimization it just takes away that burden because you can get you can optimize things quickly mm -hmm. so i'm interested in how artificial intelligence can actually enable architects to do architecture if that makes mm -hmm. sense so i see it rather than detracting so i find that really exciting but also one other thing in the uk i would say and so maybe going more into the academic part of it is that there's an emergence in the UK of architectural apprentice schemes. So different routes into architecture, because I was lucky enough that I had some help from my parents, but I was working as well. And what everyone's different walk of life. And it would be a shame if they weren't in architecture, if they had a passion mm -hmm. for it, but couldn't do it. So I'm really excited to see different 
forms of education in the UK. Maybe a mm -hmm. quick one back. Is it in the US? Are you finding that it, conversations are opening up around that point as well? Yeah, the US has an interesting system because our semesters are so short yeah. that the stu every student works four months in the summer, yeah. which actually is a great way because then every year you come back, you've worked a little bit in the practice. So the practice and the, the studying are very interwoven. Yeah. And of course, often they come to work for us faculty, but also in other offices, and we also arrange it for them. So we get really interesting practices to take our students Sometimes they go for weeks, sometimes for months. It's like an interesting, and I think there is nothing as good as learning architecture as just doing it. I think that's definitely, but I like what your answer was because I also think that as much as I think sustainability is really important and I like playing with it, I like yeah. innovating in it and I like trying the far future stuff. But I also think that sustainability has broadened the bad, ugly side to the forefront. And I think beauty in architecture is really, even if it's a, a non, like you've seen my work, it's not very standard beauty, right? It's, yeah, I like yeah. to think of buildings having character and identity, but not, I don't like styles. I don't like standard aesthetics, but I, the idea that a building has character and identity, and definitely that is a great thing to investigate in, in AI and helps to loosen up those ideas yeah. because in the old days we used to experiment more in the computer and i remember even when we started becoming digital it was like oh it's going to erase all beauty and architecture i think it just brought it back and it brought the level of complexity we can now handle because your 3d model is also the bim model is also the structural engineers model is whatever no it goes everywhere that is so exciting i yeah. love that I agree. And I'd say the last thing before we wind down is that I think that there's over the years where I've seen so much resistant attack, but actually, if you can embrace it, I do think that it is the enabler. For example, I remember, you know, it was CAD, so oh, we need to keep doing a little bit of hand drawing. Who's saying that one's replacing the other? And then the resistance in the UK mm -hmm. to going to BIM. It was huge, just absolutely. And I understand it's not perfect, and I understand it, it's a whole separate conversation. However, actually, then I started hearing more conversations after the initial resistance yeah. being like, oh, well, actually, it's a bit of a pain in the what to set up, but now it's starting to make sense and the collaboration. So yeah. I think we're going to go through this with AI and all this stuff initially where there's going to be a lot of that resistance and then hopefully people will find it's really useful. I tell you one, yeah. one last thing on it that makes me laugh is that Photoshop, all AI generated, the amount of times when I was an architectural graduate in an office, I would spend Photoshopping it all. And now, Winky, you don't even need to do it. You can just program it out. So you'll have new stuff for the initial graduate. Yeah, to you, do. Can just say, you can just say the words and it happens. Yeah. Yeah. Remove AI, remove that awful area and impose this and it does it. But uh, remove background. Boom. Yeah. But the thing is, you need you there to go, that's not realistic and that's not real. So. It's a bit of both. Yeah, no, it's totally true because we also did a lot of studies with animations. For example, we like to think that architecture has behavior. Yeah. Right? So we would study that in Maya, which is originally a film software. And we did that for years and had all kinds of growth models that, plant, mm. that buildings could grow according to an L system. And people were like, 
you're not designing. I said, yeah, I'm telling it how to grow. I stop it where I want it to stop. I test whether I like it or not. I run eight models. Maybe one of them is right. I'm still designing. I'm just letting things be organized according to another logic. And I like that. So yeah, I'm deep in all of that. Very cool. My goodness. I don't want to keep you too long because I know I'm excited to see the next stuff. And while I'm going to keep an eye on things and I'll bring up your website one more time. So people, where can people get in touch with you, Winker? Maybe that's the best thing to say. Very easy. You go on that website, our email is right there. <laughs> Brilliant. Reach out and you can find phone number, address, everything. We're very non-secretive. Yeah. Don't be shy. Reach out, isn't it? So, well, on that note, I really appreciate you being here. I really appreciate you showing the work your patience, and I appreciate your steady internet connection because mine wasn't. But you know what? The show goes on, and I'm so glad that we had yeah. this conversation. So, Winker, do if you can stay in the stage one second while I talk us out. And thank you in the audience for joining us as well. I've had a really good time. Now, I've got some cool stuff that I will be lining up shortly, so keep an eye on the cool stuff. But I'll let you off. If you look at Winker's website and all the cool stuff there, that's fine too. I'm going to end the live stream now. Thank you so much. And Winker, stay on the stage. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye now. Take care. Bye-bye.